if you open your Bible to devices, we're reading from um, Joshua 5.13 to 6.5, even though it says 40 verses in your, in your uh, bulletin, I'll just read 10 of them. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the iron men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone in, straight in. If you turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Joshua chapter 5, it's also printed in your bulletin. And because it's summertime, uh, we're not doing a series, I thought we should just uh, do a number of uh, Bible stories and scripture passages that are easy to listen to. So just relax, take it easy, listen to the story, and a uh, wonderful story communicating God's truth. So I don't want you to think too hard today. <laughs> this is not supposed to be complicated, uh, it's supposed to be enjoyable. Uh, Thank you to Bob for reading the verses that he read, and uh, I will read the rest of the passage starting now in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 6. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the people, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices and do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on, the sev on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, 
Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city that and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the, the, the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go to, into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Uh, Lynn, I do have a slide there if you can put that up. Point number one, first thing to draw to your attention, comes from verse 13 of chapter 5. Joshua meets the Lord and Joshua worships him. He meets the Lord and he worships him. Uh, verse 13, as they are near, jo near Jericho, Joshua meets a man. The man has this drawn sword. And Joshua goes up to him and says, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And I love the Hebrew. The Hebrew just has a one-word answer. The answer is no, which we translate neither. Are you for us or are you for our enemies? No. And uh, the crazy thing is, uh, I, I, the first thing I wrote down is I go, Joshua's got to be a mighty warrior. Because he meets a man with a strong sword. He doesn't know if he's on his side. And so he goes up and confronts him. <laughs> Whose side are you on? Um, if I was Joshua and I was in charge of the army, I would say, okay, let me find five other guys first. <laughs> then I'll go ask this guy if he's on my side or not. Uh, first, I'm going to get a little help. So the, here's a person with a drawn sword and Joshua confronts him. I love the answer, no. I'm not for you, and I'm not for your enemies. That's God. Neither. As commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? Joshua meets the Lord, and he worships him. Uh, Notice the answer, I am come as the captain of the armies of the Lord. I'm on God's side. I'm not on your side, and I'm not your enemy. I'm not for your enemies. I'm on God's side. i got three points of application and interpretation for you. Point number one, God is not on your side. God is not on your side. The thing is, are you on God's side? Uh, too often in life, we go through life and go, here I am, I'm going to do what I want to do. Always thinking, hey, God's going God's to back me up. <laughs> and uh, that's not the way you should go through life thinking. You should go through life thinking, what does God want me to do? How am I going to orient myself to what God is doing? What is God going to do in this world? And how am I going to fit in with God's plans? Instead of going through life thinking... God can fit into my plans. Abraham Lincoln was once asked whether he was worried whether God was on his side. Here was his answer. Sir, 
My concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. And too often we think about our plans and how God's going to fit into our plans. And from the beginning we should be asking, what are God's plans? For instance, we know from the scripture that God is going to have someone from every nation and language and tribe in heaven. That's the plan of God. That's going to happen. God's going to make that happen. So we should be on God's side and be reaching out to people of every color and language and tribe. That's what God expects from us. That's being on God's side. We know that God is on the side of the poor. Well, how does that fit into our plans? Do we have anything to do with the poor? Uh, point number two. Application from God meeting Joshua, Joshua meeting the captain of the Lord's army. Point number two, God has forces in the area to do what he wants to do. God's got forces in the area to do what he wants to do. Uh, we read in the Bible about Jericho's army and Jericho's king, and we read about Israel's army and Israel's leader. But there's another force to take into an account. It's the force that you can't see, and it's the Lord's army. The Lord's army is also there. Um, I've told you before, I, my brother-in-law used to be a chaplain in the U.S. Navy. And his uh, last assignment was to be with the Marines. And he was on a ship in the Pacific. And uh, they were ready to land anywhere in the world if the president just said, go there. They're combat ready. They've got an entire self-contained unit. And if the president says, you land in North Korea... The ship can head straight to North Korea. There's nothing else they need. They're ready to go. They're, they're, they're already prepared. They're at sea. That's, that's, that's the case all the time. I suggest to you that God's got his army here ready to go all the time, all around the world. He's already got forces in the area. Um, uh, I love science fiction, and I love stories about aliens. I know I'm weird. <laughs> I first, amen, who said that? <laughs> now, I, I, doubt, I doubt there are any aliens in the universe. I really doubt there's intelligent life out there. But here's the crazy thing. There is other intelligent life in our universe that you cannot see. Angels and demons are real. If you think about it, that's alien life, right? That's not life that's from this planet, right? That's, they, they live somewhere else. They show up here every once in a while. Sometimes you see them. Most of the time you don't. They're always here. They could even be in this room, right? Imagine that. Aliens right here in this room with us, watching us. In fact, some of them trying to help us and some of them trying to hurt us. Uh, you don't have to go to Area 51 to find an alien. Alien life all around us. And that's what the captain of the Lord's army is saying. I'm here. Are you on my side? Point number three. Now we're just getting warmed up. Right? This is the, just the beginning. Point number three. This person is probably the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. This is Jesus standing there with the sword. And this is Jesus saying, I am the captain of the Lord's army. Why do I think it's Jesus? A couple of reasons. Reason number one 
He says, the place where you're standing is holy ground. And he falls down and he worships him. And usually that's something only done for God. And secondly, as you go, in, go on through the rest of the story, you'll notice in chapter 6 and verse 2, then the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, all capital letters, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh, Yahweh said to jo Joshua, I think that's a reflection that this person is God himself that, that, that Joshua's meeting. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus. It's always fascinating to me to see the Son of God before his incarnation. This is one of those times. We know that he visits Abraham, Jesus does, and it's Jesus who visits Joshua. We have a Savior who loves humanity and, and intersects his life with humanity, not just for the time he was here for 30 years. From the beginning of creation, when Jesus made us, so the time he came and lived here as a human being and died on the cross for us till today where he is in heaven sitting at the right hand of God and he's interceding for you and for me. For all of this time, Jesus Christ has loved us and he's been concerned about us and he's been joining his life with our life. That's exciting to me that Jesus Christ has been interested in human beings from the very beginning. You see it in this chapter. He's interested supremely in the people of God. Notice Joshua's reactions and responses to the captain of the Lord's army. Verse uh, 14, Joshua fell down, fell face down to the ground in reverence or in worship and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I find it funny interesting that uh, the first thing the commander of the Lord's army says is not, okay, I've got the battle plan for you. Here's the battle plan. The first thing is, listen, you're on holy ground. This is a special place. He falls prostrate. He worships. He asks for directions, and he obeys the commands to remove his sandal because he is on holy ground. Where God is, there must be holiness. The book of Hebrews says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We've got to have it. Holiness has to do with being set apart, being set apart to God. Priests are holy because they are set apart to serve God. The Ark of the Covenant is holy. It's been set apart to represent the throne room of God and be used in worship of God. It represents the presence of God. There's nothing else you do with the Ark of the Covenant. You don't take the Ark of the Covenant out and say, hey, there's a flat top. Let's eat our lunch at the Ark of the Covenant. Right? That'd be ridiculous. It's set apart to worship God. Reminds me of Moses at the burning bush. Moses is commanded to take off his sandals because it's holy ground. Why is it holy ground? Because God is there. And I thought this, what's wrong with sandals? How many of you wearing sandals today? Please don't take them off. <laughs> or those, especially those of you wearing shoes, don't take those off. <laughs> By the way, Muslims, Muslims do have to take their shoes off when they go into, into the mosque, and it's because they are reflecting Old Testament worship. And in Old Testament worship, your shoes are mundane or they're common. They're common in the sense 
that you wear them outside on the street or you wear them out on the sidewalk or you wear them, you wear them anywhere. So when you go into the Lord's place, into the mosque, you take off the common thing so that you're set apart to worship a holy God, right? That's Old Testament worship. Now, guess what? We're not in Old Testament, though, are we? What's the New Testament counterpart? The New Testament counterpart is that before you come to church and before you come here to worship, you say a prayer to the Lord. And you say, Lord, I want my sins to be forgiven. Lord, I want to hear from you today, and I want to worship you today, and I want to have a right spirit before you today. That's the New Testament counterpart, so that you don't bring the common things of the world. Now, common things are not all bad things, but they're not all about God. Let me show you a couple of instances of being set apart. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you've got your Bibles, turn there with me. Otherwise, you can listen. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. This, first of all, shows you what it is to be holy, set apart. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Makes sense. Sinful people cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, Richard White told me he got swindled this week. <laughs> now, I don't know how he got swindled. He was on the phone with somebody talking about his computer, and Richard White listened to what the person told him about his computer. Now Richard's computer is all locked up and he needs to get a code from the person he was talking to on the phone in order to unlock his computer. And Richard White asked me this morning, do you know anything about computers? And I said, I think you're in trouble. <laughs> Don't listen to people on the Internet or people that phone you up and do what they tell you to do about your computer. Okay? Uh, you're being swindled. I don't know if this helps Richard to know that he's been swindled and that it's a bad thing that happened to him. But in our past, that's what we all were, wicked and apart from God. Now, I love verse 11. That's what some of you were, right? That's what you were. But you were washed. Now, by the way, the reason why you get washed is so that you can be set apart to God, so you can be clean. Now, the washing that he's talking about here, I think, is the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, the washing of new birth, the washing of regeneration, that's what the Holy Spirit of God does. And he cleanses you. He cleans you up. Washed. You were sanctified. Sanctified means to be made holy. To be set apart. It's a, it's a past thing. That's what happens when you come to Jesus Christ. You're washed and you're sanctified and you're made holy. So that everything that you were, that's gone. You're now God's. You've been set apart for him. And you were justified, declared righteous. Point in time. God looks at you and goes, yeah, I accept you. You are a righteous person. Of course, not because of the things we've done, but because of what he has done for us. Notice, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's done by the Spirit of our God. Now, this is the first step. 
in New Testament holiness. Being set apart when I believe in Jesus Christ. The second step is now living that out. Notice with me verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We have to live practical holiness out in our lives and each and every day because the Holy Spirit has come into us and we are now the place where worship takes place. We're the temple of God. God lives here. That's why we don't take off our shoes out in the hallway before we come into church. There is a higher spiritual reality and uh, it is the reality that now we are the temple of God. So we must live holy lives. Is it 25 after? We haven't even got to the sermon yet. Oh, man. That's bad news. <laughs> well, let, me, let, me, let me get through what I can get through here. Wow. Now, that was only supposed to take five minutes. Um, in in uh, Joshua chapter 6, the Lord gives them the battle plan, verses 1 through 5. The Lord says, here's what I want you to do. Verse 2. I've already delivered Jericho into your hands. I've already, it's a, it's, a path, it's a done deal. I've given you Jericho. Right Now you have to believe that what God has told you is true, right? He's, he, the, he's, he's done it. He's given us to us. The battle's already won. God has said it's going to happen. How is it going to happen? Verse 3. Verse three. March around the city once for six days. So all the armed men watch, walk around once for six days. Verses 4 through 7. Verse 4. Seven priests will carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. Those trumpets, Hebrew shofar. You probably have heard of the shofar before. Shofars are made of ram's horns. So blow on these seven shofars from the seven priests. On the seventh day, you will march around the city seven times. Verse 5, when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. The wall of the city will collapse. The people will go in. Every man straight in. Uh, the city of Jericho was the first city uh, across the Jordan. It is down by the Dead Sea. Um, I have put a picture of the walls on the screen. Uh, Jericho has been excavated a number of times. It is the longest uh, continually inhabited city in the world. Uh, there have been people living in Jericho for 9,000 years. And uh, the reason why they live there is uh, it's a warm climate, but you have a spring that comes up at the city of Jericho, and you have the, you have the Jordan floodplain, which is very fertile. And uh, people have lived, lived there a long time. Um, this is the scheme of the walls of Jericho. The bottom wall, at the bottom of the screen there, is a stone wall. And behind the stone wall, it was filled up with earth, kind of like a retaining wall. On top of the earth, they then built a brick wall. So you got the stone wall. On top of the stone wall, they then have a brick wall. 
and then you have the slope up to the rest of the city, and then another brick wall at the top of that slope. Uh, between those two walls, people lived between the two walls. It was a, that was where poorer people lived. Uh, that's where we think Rahab lived, between those walls. And that her house butted up, butted up against the uh, brick wall. What they found is that that first brick wall fell down and it rolled over top of the stone wall to form a ramp, okay? So the first brick wall falls over and it actually falls over the stone wall. It makes a ramp all around the city so you can walk right up into the city. Now, I say that they found that, although that's what they found the person who, who found it dated it to 1550. Joshua is 1400. That's based on biblical chronology. So the timing is off. Uh, the first person that dated it dated it to 1400 based on pottery. And what they do is they find pottery based on uh, what they find everywhere else in pottery. If you have the same shape and the same materials, that's how they date. That's usually how they date archaeology in uh, in Israel. Uh, not everyone dates it to 1550. Some, those who believe the Bible, based on pottery, date it to 1400. Uh, the retaining wall at the bottom, the stone wall, is is uh, four to five meters high, 12 to 15 feet. The second brick wall there is two meters thick. So that's uh, two meters thick. That's six feet thick. That's, that's a lot. That's thick. Uh, and six to eight meters high, 20 to 26 feet. Uh, the second brick wall, the one at the top of the hill, um, is 46 feet above the ground outside the, base, outside the base wall. In other words, as the children of Israel came up to the Jericho, this is a well-fortified city. Uh, it's going to be almost impossible to get in there. Um, in fact, I can imagine, I, I wrote some of this down, some of what I thought people might have been saying. As the first day as they go to walk around the city, uh, I can imagine the Israelites, they're just believing what God has said. So they're, they're doing it. Notice they're not allowed to say a word. They can't, they can't speak to each other. Uh, they have to be quiet. And I can imagine the people up on the walls, uh, as the alarm goes out, they're coming, and everybody gets up on the walls, and they look to see what the Israelites are doing, and they come out, and they walk around the city, and they blow the horns, and nobody says anything, and they go back to their camp. And then they do it on day two, and they go out, and they walk around the city, and they go back to their camp. And I'm sure the people on the walls are going, hey, look, they don't have any ladders. This is ridiculous. They can't get in here without ladders. This is going to be a turkey shoot. They can't climb up the walls. How can they can't get us? Hey, look, they don't even have a battering ram. These people are stupid. They don't know how to do anything. I'm sure, the, I'm sure their leaders are saying, hey, wait till you see the whites of their eyes. Then throw, throw your spears. I'm sure on day two they're going, hey, what's in that little golden box that they're carrying around the city? What are those two wing things on top of the golden box? That's the smallest idol I've ever seen. That's the worst, that's the worst God I've ever seen. That's ridiculous. By day three, I think they're going, hey, 
You guys are putting on a good show. Hey, can you play, can you, can you play Yankee Doodle on those trumpets? Hey, if you just drop off the golden box at the gate, we promise we won't hurt you. I'm sure some of the things they start to say from the walls are X-rated. I can't even tell you. <laughs> and then imagine day seven. They walk around it seven times. Now, as a kid, I always had a couple problems with that. Number one, I thought, why are they doing so much walking on the Sabbath? <laughs> it doesn't seem to make sense to me. But they did, that's what they did seven times. And I also thought, if it takes two hours to walk around the city, how do they have time left to fight? And that's the dumbest battle plan in the world. The day you're going to do the fighting, you do the most walking. That's not smart at all. And, of course, that's the whole point. This is not built on what is smartest, what is most military, you know, the best military strategy. This is based on faith in the power and the ability of God. When God says, I do it, that's the way you do it. Notice the number of seven. Seven priests blowing, seven horns, seven days, seven times on the seventh day. And it's not magical. This is meant to show God is the one that's doing it. That's God's number. We're doing it God's way. And on that seventh day, a whole week without talking. Now, Connie Oakes isn't here today, so I can pick on her. Uh, I don't think Connie could have made it without saying a word. When my mother was a little girl, my mother's father was a doctor in uh, British Columbia. And uh, she would take, he would take my mother on his rounds. And finally, he, he would turn to her and say, if you can be quiet for five minutes, I'll give you a nickel. She never got a nickel. But the children of Israel, for seven days, marched around that city. They didn't say a word, not a whisper. And then on the seventh day, after the seventh time, the trumpets kept blowing, and everyone turned towards the city, and they shouted, and the walls fell down. And they walked straight into the city on little ramps right up over the walls. Uh, so what does that have to do with us today? The book of Hebrews says this about what happens to Jot in Jericho. It says, By faith the wall of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. By faith. The walls fell by faith. The children of Israel could have said, hey, that's a dumb plan. We're not walking around the city for seven days. We're going to just take our sledgehammers and go up and try to hit the walls down. They'd still be there trying to knock the walls down. But by faith, by believing God, those walls fell. We must play our part in winning the battle, and in our lives we must always exercise faith in God. That is our part. To believe what God has said and to follow him. That's our part. Now I must admit 
the nice thing about Joshua chapter 6 is God tells them exactly what to do. I wish sometimes God would do that. Lord, just tell me. Should I walk around the city six times? Is that going to do it? I would love to have such a simple plan. He doesn't always give us the simple plan. He just tells us to believe him, trust him. Jesus Christ did love us. He died on the cross for us. You trust that. You believe it. That makes all the difference in your life. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Point number two. What should we learn from this? We need to be on the side of the captain of the Lord's armies. That's Jesus Christ. Are you on his side today? Or on your, on your own side? Today we need to do it God's way. Let's look to the Lord in prayer.